Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mildred D. Philippus. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 121.5. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And we are bringing you the latest second-tier books from the month of July, as well as so a little bit of comic news. Um, we do have a total of seven books to cover, including Batman and Superman, which uh, this was based off of some fan or some listener Q&As uh, that were sent in saying that you guys wanted to hear Bat- you wanted us to continue to do Batman and Superman, but felt it would be better deserved to be on this podcast. So that's where we're putting it for now. So let's get straight into comic news. Uh, just a couple of different things to go over. First up... This is Summer Gleason back live at the Gotham State University. The campus bank was the target of a robbery and a malicious arson attempt by the so-called Scarecrow. The uh, solicitations for July or the solicitations for October were released. There's there's not really a whole lot of surprises as far as the second tier books that we cover here. There are all the books that we cover here are still coming out. Um, in addition to that, there is actually. Uh, an annual, Nightwing annual number one, which we don't cover here, but that was one of the additions to the the list of books that's coming out in October. Um, there, outside of that, um, the current story arc of Batman Superman uh, will be wrapping up in October, so that will be the deciding point after that first story arc as to whether or not we'll continue to cover it or not. Um, outside of that, the... Uh, the other stuff that's happening, Forever Evil will be in full swing. Uh, we're still debating on uh, how exactly we're going to cover Forever Evil since we're not really covering Trinity War. Uh, we will be covering the Forever Evil uh, Arkham War, uh, but it is undetermined at this time whether it will be on this podcast or the normal comic cast. Um, so, not really a whole lot of surprises as far as solicitations. Uh, next up, right before Comic-Con on July 16th, DC announced that a new Harley Quinn series is on the horizon. Um, they stated that uh, starting in, I believe, November, the series will, even though Harley Quinn has a significant role in Suicide Squad and in Injustice Gods Among Us, it is going to, it's time to give her her own series. So J- Jimmy Palmiotti will write the series with his... Uh, wife Amanda Connor doing the art for the book um, and then when they were asked whether or not Joker would be making an appearance they both said that the focus will be on Harley her background and her motivations um, but her supporting cast will also be focused and the Joker will always be looming in the background so we will be covering this series um, we've covered Suicide Squad in the past when it's pertained to certain bad events Harley Quinn will be, the the series itself, we will be covering here on the .5 cast. So you can look forward to that starting in November. Next, um, we get straight into the news from Comic-Con International 2013. Um, There was a couple of different panels here and there. There wasn't a whole lot of news related to the second tier books. Um, I'm just going to hint at just a couple of different various things that were mentioned at some of the different panels 
Tom Taylor uh, stated that he will be focusing on Batman of Earth 2 in his upcoming run on Earth 2. Um, we won't be covering that, but depending on if it somehow ties into certain things, we would be covering that book on this podcast. That's actually the only bit of news, even though that's not even really a book that we're covering on a monthly basis. That's all the news that came out. There was some other news regarding um, Batman and some of the digital series books that we don't cover. Um, and there's also some news related to Batgirl and because Gail Simone was on one of the panels. But as far as any of the other books, they talked at they talked at nothing at all about any of the other books, which in some ways is kind of disappointing because it's sad that you know DC has as many panels as they have at Comic-Con International and they don't even talk about half of the books that they currently are publishing. So I, I've never understood it just from the fact that everyone's reading Batman. If you're going to Comic-Con and you're going to a DC Comics panel, you're probably reading Scott Snyder's Batman. So talk about something that maybe everyone's not reading. Yeah, and normally they, they've done that in the past, especially at other panels where they'll talk about some of the second-tier books and things like that. Um, C2E2 is a good example of that. A lot of the books that they focused on were not necessarily the main books, but I think that partially has to do with whether who they, which creators they actually have right, yeah. at the actual conventions. What is interesting, though, is there was a number of uh, creators in attendance at seats uh, at Comic-Con International, and because of that, you would expect them to have talked about it. Now, um, while you're listening to this podcast, if you log on, to, if you head over to the website and check out Comic News, we should have some exclusive interviews with some different creators posted up on the website. Um, they are going to be in, in text format, not uh, interview for, or uh, video format, but you can check those out. We did speak with a number of different creators um, among them, some of the creators that actually pertain to some of these books are also not really covered because there was there wasn't that many. But some of the books outside of the normal realm of things that we cover, such as uh, Justice League of America, uh, Justice League Dark, uh, Injustice Gods Among Us, uh, the upcoming new Batman Beyond Universe title, uh, we interviewed a lot of those creators. So you can check out those interviews as you're listening to this podcast. So with that, that is actually all of the news we have. Um, so we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews. And the first book we're going to do is Batman Superman number two. Where's the Joker? Who knows? Making ha-ha with Harley Quinn. Oh. I don't know, honest. I never went back after he muscled in. I don't want nothing to do with that clown. That's enough. I think you got your answer. I heard you were crazy. I didn't think you were stupid. Batman Superman number two, double time. Writer Greg Pak, artist Jay Lee. Um, this story opens up with Batman returning to the Batcave, uh, where he's greeted by Catwoman when he calls for Alfred. She playfully attacks him, when he, and then he notices a wedding picture of them, and she calls him her husband. Uh, we then cut back to Smallville, where Clark is talking to his father, who almost instantly realizes that this is not his Clark. Um, Superman uh, tries to interrogate the other Batman, uh, but he has no answers for him either. 
then, then sometime a, a boom tube opens, and the other Superman arrives in Smallville, and the other Batman is deposited back in the Batcave where we saw the first Batman from. Uh, by this point, the first Batman has Catwoman tied up, and the two begin to fight. Uh, both of them use the exact same martial arts moves and that only they know, and they both realize the truth that they're, they're both actually Batman. Uh, one Batman warns the other one that there was a red and blue dressed superhuman he was fighting before he was sent to the Batcave, and the newer Batman lets him know that he has a friend working on that. Uh, back to the to Supermans who who have their fight broken up by Ma and Pa Kent, and she, they tell both boys that they should know better and not fight. Um, then we see the the Batman flying over Gotham, uh, and the younger one is amazed at how clean it is, uh, and the older Batman. Tells him that you know a lot's changed in the years since that he's going to grow up in. Um, then Superman, go, the Supermen go to meet uh, Lois Lane. Wonder Woman shows up, and the the younger or the first Superman is clearly attracted to her, forcing his uh, older Superman to tell Lois uh, that he only has eyes for her. Uh, Wonder Woman then attacks Lois Lane and puts a blade to her throat. Uh, she tells Clark that a demon walks the earth, and the uh, Lois Lane, I'm assuming is the trickster, says that she is actually a god. Uh, next up, issue number three. Okay, um, kind of the first thing here is that we have two sets of Batman and Superman, and what do you think is going on? Are these alternate Earth guys? Are they time travel from the future? What, uh, what do you think we got going on here? I think that this is alternate Earths. Um... When we reviewed the first issue last month over on the normal comic cast, I have to say I was completely lost. I had no idea what the heck was going on. And th there was a real kind of jolt as far as, you know, is this uh, time travel? Is this alternate Earths? Is this interdimensional? Um, and it's even shown in this issue that, you know, some of the characters don't even know what the heck's going on themselves. And I think this one did a much better job of kind of explaining it. I got to the point where I figured it must be alternate Earth. I don't believe it's Earth 2, um, specifically because of certain things that that kind of contradict some of the stuff that's actually appeared in the Earth 2 comic series. But I think that... It is some other Earth. The Trickster is playing games. I don't know enough about the Trickster to know whether or not he had, you know, he, she had these powers before the New 52 or if this is something new. But this book came off as a little bit more understandable as far as being able to figure out exactly what's going on compared to the first issue. I'll say that. Uh, but outside of that, I still don't know really know what the the idea for the story is actually what is actually going on because besides this random villain who may have these powers to be able to you know shift these people back and forth really what's the point like they just randomly decided they woke up one morning and said hey i know what i'm going to do today i'm going to you know send the superman and batman from this earth over to this earth and have them fight each other because it'll be fun i mean like it just seems a little trivial that's all yeah, I'm, um, and I know for those of you who heard my summary, you're probably confused because it is very difficult to describe what's going on in the book because you have so many of the same character running around. Um, I think you're probably right. I think it's probably an alternative Earth. It's, I don't think it's Earth 2 either. Um, but though, to be honest, at this point, nothing would really surprise me. Um, I could see him going down the road that this all is just make-believe. Um and I think that's a possibility. And I think the other thing is that 
from what we've to keep the continuity straight, the Batman and Superman can't meet in this story, or the ones from the right Earths can't meet in this story. Um, so I'm a little confused by it. it. It definitely is an improvement on, you know, fleshing it out from from the first one, but it's still a little um, still a little foggy, uh, entertaining enough, but a, but a little foggy. And I I hope that if by issue number three we'll get some kind of definitive uh, what in the world is going on here. Um, the other thing is that you know Wonder Woman was in this book, Lois Lane was in this book, two Batman, two Superman, Catwoman, Mom, Pa Kent, the Trickster, and the Kitchen Sink. So I thought it was a little too much in one book. What did you did you think that they were trying to cram too much in the pages here? I think the the problem is that because the title is Batman Superman, they're really trying to like do a blanket of the biggest characters related to these these two characters. And I think the the problem with that is that because it is taking place on different Earths, it is a little confusing, and it makes it even more so confusing because there are so many different characters. Um, Catwoman was in the first issue, but she was actually possessed, and it was the other Catwoman, not the Catwoman we see here. Um, there, there's there's there is a lot of characters, but I think it's because the the writer and the artist they're on this book. It's supposed to be a really big book. And they're trying to make sure that they can name drop as many characters as they possibly can. Yeah, that's kind of the the feeling I got that it was um a lot of name dropping, and I think it was, I think that this could have been split into two books. You know, I think that you could have this. There's two books worth of stuff here, and I think that a lot of the scenes kind of get shortchanged because just trying to cram so much stuff into it. Um, but. You know, other than that, I really don't have too much to uh, to add about this book because it's it's really just a a stepping stone, in my opinion, to the next issue. So that's all I got on it. The the one thing I I, I want to just jump onto that comment you made about the it could have been split into two books, and I think that would have actually been a much better way to go about this to have one book where you've got the two Batman, and then another book where it's the two Superman, and then it. The problem is that because they are under this assumption that Batman and Superman have to be in each issue, and you have to give them equal playing time in the, in each issue, that's the problem. Like this story seems if it, as if it could have made a little bit better. As if you know the first issue takes place where Batman and Superman are on the one Earth, and then all of a sudden the thing happens at the end of the issue where you're completely confused and you don't know what's going on, and then the next issue is just the Batman in the one war, the one Earth, and then the next one Superman on the other Earth, and then the last issue is them coming together to figure out how to solve it. Instead of having this mishmash of uh, very, kind of, like you said, short-changing the scenes by making them much smaller because you have to have uh, equal amount of time for both characters. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I think we're both saying the same thing. This book felt very rushed. It seemed like that we just it, it just seemed like it went by so fast without I mean there should have been a lot more character development I think it just it just felt like it was going by too fast I agree alright so I'm going to give Batman Superman number 2 a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings I'm going to give Batman Superman number 2 a total of 3 out of 5 batterings alright so that's going to give Batman Superman number 2 a total of 3 out of 5 batterings let's move into our next book Batwing number 22 What's the top speed on this thing? Mach 3. Is that faster than a speeding bullet? Written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. Art by Eduardo Pensiska. 
the issue starts off exactly where issue 21 ended, where at the Fox Mansion, the Marabonta is, the soldiers are breaking into the Fox Mansion. Um, they're attacking and, and uh, Lucius, or Luke Fox is under the assumption that they're actually coming for him, but they're actually there for his father, Lucius Fox. Um, after being neutralized by the soldiers, um, Luke, Lucius Fox actually unleashes a, a defense system inside of his house to take out some of the soldiers, but it's not enough as they're gassed and taken away from the house. Luke wants to chase after the soldiers, but unfortunately is stopped by his sisters who are telling him that they need he needs to stay with them and not necessarily go after the, his father. After he's convinced that maybe that is the right thing to do, we cut to a scene a couple days earlier where Bruce Wayne is at the mine in Africa talking with one of the government officials about uh, his recent acquisition of the mine when he's approached by somebody named Atticus Fontaine who says that he'd like to buy the mine back from Wayne Enterprises. Uh, after Bruce Wayne says, I have absolutely no interest in selling the mine, um, you know, it was your organization that allowed this to happen in the first place, and basically Fontaine says, um, well, you just, you might, you might want to reconsider, leaving a threatening tone. Later in Gotham City, uh, Luke Fox is talking to Batman as Batman's trying to find Lucius Fox. Uh, Luke Fox, after being hung up on ba by Batman, breaks into his father's uh, Wayne Enterprises files to find out that Lu Lucius Fox has actually designed all of the different things for Batman, all of his gadgets and all of his devices. Um, after that, Luke Fox suits up and decides he's going after him regardless. He tells Batman, I'm helping you. Uh, Batman says, well, I'll head to this uh, ship in the harbor because that's where we believe he is because he has a tracer inside of his skin because he's an important Wayne Enterprises member. After the two team up and get inside, they realize they're extremely outnumbered. Um, they start taking him out. We see that Lucius Fox is actually being harvested for information by what appears to be some sort of queen ant of some sort of king ant. He has some larger than normal head. Um, and they're harvesting his knowledge so that they can take out Wayne Enterprises. Uh, Batman and Batwing get outnumbered, uh, and they are approached by a giant robotic uh, prototype soldier ant, and the issue ends with Batwing saying, this looks bad. It is bad, isn't it? Next, next up, oh, it's bad. Alright, so Batwing number 22. So, the, the first thing I want to talk about is the we're already we, we've kind of gotten a hint at the fact that Batwing is going to have he, he's going to make some adjustments to his suit. Um, we've already seen that he's going to have a suit that's very similar to the Batman Beyond suit. The Batman even hints at the fact that his uh, his his uh, suit has the ability to have low level invis and. Batwing says that he's actually modified it so he, it can it can be uh, a little bit better, referencing the uh, suit from Batman Beyond where he could flip a switch and then have camouflage around him. Um, what do you think about him getting a, basically, not necessarily getting a new suit, but what do you think about the idea of his suit kind of evolving as the series goes on? Yeah, no, I I think that the you know the the bat suit kind of evolving for the Batwing character is. Is, is really kind of interesting because I think that what we're going to have here is that the suit 
is going to become as much of a character as Luke is. And I think what we could see here is we, we already had the, the first Batwing, and now we have the second Batwing. Um, this could be one where the suit is kind of the central focus, and we might end up with a string of different Batwings over time, which might be one way to keep this title going into the future. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. I think that, I mean, I don't, I, I like the idea of Luke Fox being Batwing, so I'm not opposed to um, them keeping him Batwing, at least for the time being. The the one the other thing I wanted to talk about is um, the the continuation of kind of the idea of it still being this international Batman instead of being still stuck in Gotham even though he is in Gotham we're still seeing these these different things happening in Africa that are still related to the series carry on. Um, what do you think of that, and where do you think the direction is going to go as far as like with this character of Anton or uh, uh, the, guy, the the Mister Fontaine character that introduces himself to Bruce Wayne in this issue? The idea that uh, Lucius Fox is being his his uh, knowledge is being harvested by some organization that is supposedly working for an unnamed client. How do you think this will actually tie in and continue on the story? You know, I'm not 100% sure. I think that what Jimmy Palmiotti is trying to do is just wrap up the African storylines in one nice little bow, which is commendable, but I kind of wish he just had a clean break and never had sent Luke back to Africa at all. And, and I think this 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 other businessman character, I don't know what's going on there. I think that I'm assuming we're going to find out he's the leader of the uh, of the ant people. And then I'm assuming that the lion character who went away and was rescued by them, or he aided in their escape a couple issues ago. So there's there's kind of some stuff hanging out there from the past couple issues that haven't really got tied up. And I'm just assuming this guy's going to be the central character and tying this bow together. Yeah, I think that's most likely the case. Um, I I w- I also would like them to get away from the Africa stuff and concentrate more on maybe the Wayne Enterprises side of stuff with Lucius Fox and have Luke Fox. Maybe go to work for Wayne Enterprises just so that he's more involved in it. But I think that for the time being, I'm okay with there not being a clean break because I think it's, in some ways, a lot of people don't want, you know, who put a lot of effort into that first run on the series where it was uh, David Zabimbi uh, playing Batwing and him being the character and them dealing so heavily with everything that was going on in Africa. I think that. They're trying to like slowly break away from it. They they did a clean break from David's character, but I think they're just slowly trying to get away from the Africa aspect. And I think that also Batman Incorporated, um, what's been happening in Batman Incorporated because it's ending this month. I think that we're also going to start stop seeing it so much be being about the international aspect as as much as it has been. So, um, Batwing number twenty two. I'm going to give a total of three out of five batterings. Batwing number 22, I'm going to give a total of 2 out of 5 batterings. Alright, so that's going to give Batwing number 22 a total of 2.5 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batwoman number 22. Why don't you just go talk to her? Who, me? Talk to her? (laughs) No way. Yeah, you'd probably be wasting your time anyway. I hear she's, you know... Brazilian. Ha ha. Batwoman number 22, The Blood is Thick, hits. Writer J.H. Williams, H. 
Hayden Blackman, and artist Ray McCarthy. Uh, this book opens up with Batwoman and Flamebird tracking down Bane on an, Ala- an unnamed Alaskan island. Uh, after a chase, they do manage to subdue him and tie him to a tree. Uh, they want information about Batman, and specifically how Bane defeated him. Uh, Bane, Bane tells them that he only fooled him with, with, with great treachery. Uh, they then leave, leave Bane there with the uh, DEO agents. Um, then we cut to this kind of pan- large panel scene where it's Arkham's finest. We see Black Mask, Professor Pig, and Fright all giving their insights on how to catch uh, Batman. Um, although everyone in the room, including Agent Chase, kind of you know doesn't give it much credence because well they're crazy. That's why they're in Arkham. Um, we then cut to Flamebird's training with the Crows. Uh, the Crows are a, a, a gang of special ops soldiers that have been put together uh, by Jacob to help take down the G- the DEO. Uh, Jacob is extremely critical of Flamebird's combat style, but the other Crows actually come to her defense and think that she is ready to invade the DEO. Uh, she says that she is going to go in, and she's not coming out until her cousin is with her. Uh, Batwoman is then shown on the DEO ship with Bones, and she says she has a plan to get Batman, and all she has to do is set the right bait, and then she he will come to them. Next, Veins. So the first thing I want to talk about was the opening scene in the book, which we see uh, Batwoman and Flumbert capture Bane or tie him to a tree rather easily, actually. I mean, this isn't, you know, this is a, a Bane character that took down Batman and, and whole armies have to get raised up against him and uh, we see this capture really really quick did you kind of like this scene or did you feel this was out of character for Bane I think here's here's the problem um, it's a little out of character because they've been building up Bane to be this guy who can basically smash people's skulls by holding on you know basically putting them into the palm of their hands and for and I, and I say this in not a sexist way but two girls take him out and they barely do anything to do it it just seems like it was a little far-fetched the biggest problem i have with this scene is that they use bane um yes i understand the reason why they use bane they use bane for the the sake of bane did take out batman so they wanted they, they're trying to figure that out how to do it so they go to him the problem though is the fact that bane is on some sub-zero continent and at the same time, in Talon, he is on Santa Prisca, raising up his army to go to Gotham. And we also know that he's going to be a big part of the upcoming Forever Evil storyline, the Arkham storyline, where he's leading one of the gangs that is warring in in Gotham City. So, there's a big problem with using a character that is being used in other books. And this happens in a couple of other books that we'll get to in a minute, but... The I had a problem with it because, again, it's showing that there's not as much continuity as there really should be amongst these Bat books. The fact that the it would be one thing if the character appeared months ago or this was this story was taking place months ago or something like that, but the fact that it's supposed to all be taking place current time and Bane is in a completely different place than he is and is a very has a very prominent role in another book that's a huge problem. Yeah, that, that was kind of the same feeling I had. I, I understand what they were trying to do with the scene, and I understand Bane is probably the best one because he did break Batman. But they could have had them chasing down anybody to give him insight, and would if it had been I'm just throwing out names, but the Riddler, if it had been you know Scar, the old Scarface, or or Scarecrow, or or anybody that this kind of scene would have made a lot more sense with. Um, I could see Batwoman tying any of them to a tree. The thing with Bane just, and you're reading this along with what's going on with Talon, and yeah, I I just. 
I don't think the scene is... I, I like the idea of the scene, that they're hunting down Batman's villains to get information on them, but I just think they went with the wrong person here in Bane because I don't care what kind of special rope they use. I mean, he just break the tree, you know? So that's kind of way I felt about it. Um, and, and then the next thing here is, is a lot of the focus in this issue is actually on Flamebird as, as opposed to, to Batwoman and her getting ready to invade the DEO. We've seen her on and off in the series now for quite some time, and it looks like she's going to be going in alone. Do you think that she's going to be ready to handle this on her own, or do you think this is going to be an epic failure when she tries to go in the DEO? Well, I think the important thing to note is the, the the fact that they actually stated, the the Crows at least, stated, you know, why are we so concerned about whether or not they're going to be able to do it or whether or not Beth's going to be able to do this because we're going in with her. And we all know that if we go in with her, she's going to be able to take it out, no, no problem. We're just helping her, you know, become basically, in, in one way or the other, a member of this team so that they have more power on the team than they already have. So I think that I don't think it's going to be an epic failure. I think they're going to go in there, and it's not going to be as bad as they're probably thinking. Um, but I have this feeling that the reason why Batwoman made that point about, oh, well, uh, I need 30 hours, and Bone says, okay, well, the clock's ticking now. That 30 hours is supposed to give them enough time to be able for Flamebird and the Crows to be able to take out or you know take care of what they need to do and try to get Alice out of... Uh, the DEO's custody. Yeah, um, I'm I'm kind of thinking that it's probably going to work. Although I'm getting a little uh, I'm getting a little confused about about what's going to happen here exactly. I'm assuming that Batwoman's going to be leading them on some merry merry chase somewhere, and, and while they go in and, and get the cousin, but uh, I'm not, I'm not really 100 percent sure. And then we get to see like the Black Mask and Professor Pig in here and. And they really don't serve any purpose other than having that, that scene in Arkham. So, do you like that kind of no-purpose-just-fun scenes, or do you wish they just kind of stay on track here? You know, I don't have a problem with, you know, the random scenes where it's really focusing on the art, because I think those sometimes are interesting. We, we've seen those in other books like Batman and Robin with Patrick Gleason's art. We've see, seen it recently with uh, Greg Capullo in uh, Batman number 21, or it was number 22 where there was like a special scene where it was just really a way to focus on the artists and their their way of doing it. The problem with this scene is the villains they use. Okay, Black Mask is okay. I don't have a problem with Black Mask being there. But like they use the Mortician, they use Fright. Professor Pig has had a very low, a very, very minimal role in the books. I mean, he appeared in Batman and Batman and Robin uh, pre-New 52, but he really doesn't have a huge role. So for them to, like, seek out these specific characters, it's a very odd choice. It doesn't make any sense of why they chose to use these specific characters. Especially since in... um, Especially since in the Batman Annual number 2, they are walking through Arkham Asylum... This, I know this is a little outside of this book, obviously, because it's not the same creative team, but in the Batman Annual, there's a story that takes place in Arkham Asylum where someone's being introduced that to all of the different villains that are actually locked up in Arkham Asylum. And supposedly, currently, the people who are locked up include Edward Nygma, who you you would think would have a little bit more... Uh, oh, yeah, I've, I've tried to take out the Batman more times than the Mortician, who's appeared in one story... Or Fright, who's appeared in one story, or Professor Pig, who's appeared in one story and is a supporting character in another. I mean, 
it's a weird weird combination of characters that's that's the the weirdest thing about it i don't have a problem with the scene being there it's just the choice of villains yeah and i think it's it goes back to the the, the bane choice is that i i like this issue actually quite a bit um and i like where the story's going but the the the, the, the these minimal characters they pulled the the, the ones in this Arkham scene and then Bane at the beginning, it just seems like they they had they had a really solid idea and they just picked the wrong people. Um, I don't ever need to see Professor Pig again ever for any any reason. Um, and I, I I was thinking that maybe it's because he's so prominently featured in Beware the Batman that they did this, but I hope I'm wrong. But uh, I'm sure you're not. Yeah, <laughs> but that probably isn't. It we haven't seen him in years, and all of a sudden he shows up in Batwoman. So um, yeah, I mean that's you know. It, and I, what do you think? Do you think that Batwoman actually has a... Well, last thing I've got for the book. Do you think Batwoman has a plan to catch Batman? Or is this all smoke and mirrors while they, they try their rescue efforts? I'm sure she's formulated something. But based off of the intel that they show her getting, I don't know what she's come up... What she could have possibly come up with just based off of that. She, you know, the, the, the scene in Arkham where they're interviewing those characters, there's nothing that's usable from that conversation. At all, the entire two-page splash or two-two-page splash has leads us with absolutely no intel on how to take out Batman. Bane doesn't really say anything either. He just says he got lucky because of he used treachery. And okay, that's that's great, but again, that doesn't really give her any information of how to actually do it. I mean, like I would hope that in some way, shape, or form, we actually see ha- ha- we have to see Kate actually, you know, try to reenact this this plan that she has to take out Batman to see what it is because I think in one way or another it's just going to show that Kate is not on the same level as Batman but I don't know that this book would actually do something like that I I think that what they're trying to do is they're trying to make us believe that she is on the same level as Batman even though Batman has much more experience than her that's what they're trying to do because if she can take out Batman well then you know she's she's she can hold her own and she can she she warrants her own series and I think that's the the feeling they're trying to get across but the problem is it's not going to happen I mean if it does it's going to come across as cheesy because it's not it's not really possible yeah if if I I personally think that she doesn't even have a I, I, what I'd like to see happen is the realization like you said and I'd like to see us have that moment in the book where they send Flamebird in they break the cousin out blah 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 but but then we see, you know, Batwoman talking to either Flamebird or Jacob or Bones or anybody and says, you know, basically cops the fact, like, we had to come up with another plan because there's no way I was going to catch Batman and get real. You know, like, it's not going to work. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I just and – and like you said, if, if she did, it wouldn't make any sense. So, yep, that's all I got. All right, so Batwoman number 22, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five Batarangs. I am going to give Batwoman number 22 four out of five Batarangs, and once again is my favorite book of the month out of the ones we covered. All right, so Batwoman 22 gets a total of three and a half out of five Batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Birds of Prey number 22. You're not going in that house, Huntress. That I promise. I'm here on league business, Canary. That's not what Jean said. We just called him. Okay, that didn't work. Maybe this will. Uh, the issue starts off uh, kind of picking off in a specific place where Black Canary and Condor are trying to meet up with Batgirl as they are trying to f- figure out where exactly Strix is. Um, as they burst into the room, they find Strix in a new costume and the dead body that was on the thing missing. 
um, after they deduce that uh, it's kind of odd that the Talon took the dead body because obviously Strix isn't telling them what happened. She in turn, uh, they decide they're going to leave and they're going to blow the place up. As they blow the place up, it's revealed that it actually is one of the buildings that is part of the Gotham Renewal uh, Renew Land Redevelopment Project that's sponsored by Wayne Enterprises. They blow the building up and then they leave. They decide they cannot go back to Black Canary's place or the hideout because Starling knows about it. They can't even use any of the bank accounts that Starling uh, set up. So Condor offers his uh, workshop as a place for them all to hide. Um, as they get back to the workshop, Batgirl gets a phone call and says that she has to get out of Dodge as soon as possible, and she leaves. We then are cut to the Andes. Uh, we are shown a character um, who has a team of supervillains uh, called Hammerdown Whipcrack. Uh, Cichlin, Hammerdown Whipcrack, and a new member of their team, Uplink. Um, they are told that they need to get Condor back to the team, and in the meantime, they also need to bring in Black Canary because this team looks for metahumans. Days later, we see Black Canary and Condor uh, talking about uh, their how horrible it is, and Condor explains that um, you know hopefully Batgirl will return later. But uh, in the meantime, maybe we should talk about the fact that we've kissed. Uh, they exchange another kiss, and then after Black Canary pushes him away, she says, I just need some more time. He takes off to take care of some financial things. Uh, he is outside the bank when he's approached by a, uh elderly lady who's looking to have him uh, cover her bus fare. He, in turn, actually... Uh, pays for a taxi for her we find out that he was actually being tested by her uh, we then hear that Batgirl is coming back she pops back in and explains that she had well in in not so many words she explains that she had to kill her brother because it was either her or her mother uh, Black Canary says um, you know I can, I'll do whatever I can to help you but as we know she can't really do anything at this point Condor is on his way back to the hideout when he is approached by Saiklin um, and tells her tells him that uh, it's time to come back to the team. Meanwhile, back at Condor's workshop, Hammerdown, Whipcrack, and Uplink are bursting into Condor's workshop, and uh, as they are all about to fight each other, Condor and Slink uh, pop into the actual building. Uh, Slink explains that it's time for uh, Condor and Black Canary to be to meet the Ballisk, and in turn, Canary is about to use her cry when Uplink shoots out some sort of, I guess, some sort of shock wave that seems to be the, a number of birds that take out all of the members, um, and then and then Slink says it's time to take uh, Black Canary and Condor in, leave the other two here. Next issue: Dark Dreams and Deadly De Secrets. Okay. So, we do finally get an explanation of how exactly Batgirl is part of this team, but the entire thing that happened with James Gordon Jr. takes place, although it's months and months later. Don't know why they waited so long to take care of that, but they finally did. Um, outside of that, I have very little to talk about here because they're, I didn't really enjoy this issue. So, the first thing I want to talk about is we are introduced to this new team of supervillains or terrorists as they're labeled here in the book. Um, what do you think 
their all-in-all purpose of being in this series is. And I say this because obviously there's ties that they have to Condor, and we don't know a whole lot about Condor. Um, they're looking to take Black Canary in into their, their group for whatever reason, but at the same time, it's as Black Canary states, it seems as if the team's falling apart left and right, with Starling betraying them, and basically everything that they have everything that they were is being torn apart in one way or the other and then at the end of the issue they're actually being torn about torn apart physically by them being taken away and back on Strix being left alone so what do you think of the idea of this team being in the book uh, well uh, um, <clears throat> I'm assuming that this this team is really just giving us a team of people for um the birds of prey to fight um though to be completely honest with you i don't this 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 team introduction is is something that i don't really like i don't think it makes any sense i don't think that in the story it makes any sense um we just had the mr freeze court of owls starling thing and now we have this kind of thrown in the middle of it i don't i don't get it i I guess they're just there for a team for them to fight but they're not very memorable characters and I don't know. That's the best thing I can think of. It's simply another team for the Birds of Prey to fight. But other than that, I don't. I don't see much coming out of. Them. Yeah, I don't see a whole lot coming out of them either. Um, it's just another weird combination of new characters that someone's created because they don't want to use existing characters. And also, it probably has to do with the fact that, despite the fact that Birds of Prey do have villains that you know they fought at multiple times during their previous series, their I should say their first series. Uh, before the New 52, before the book got cancelled, before they restarted again, before they cancelled it again, they did have villains that they they did fight on an occasional basis, but the problem is that the team is so far away from what they were originally that you know, that's the problem. Uh, Huntress isn't on the team, obviously Batgirl is is Batgirl and not Oracle, so there's that's another difference, but I think the problem is that they're really just trying to like create something new but they don't really know the direction that they're going to go and that's the biggest problem so we've got up in the air that Starling is with Mr. Freeze um, and now Black Canary's screwed she can't go back to her place she's she's broke she can't use any money but that's kind of like this open plot line that they're not you know wrapping up in any way except you know she's not around and now we're introducing this other character to focus on Condor, and it really just comes across as, you know, we get a couple issues that focus on each character of the team. The last few issues focused on uh, Strix in a way because it was dealing with the Court of Owls, and it just seems like that's what's happening. My my final question I have has really nothing to do with the actual team. It more has to do with Batgirl. Um, we see this this kind of like throwaway situation happen where over a course of a few days she takes off, has to kill her brother, blah 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 she's back with the team. Knowing what's happening in Batgirl where she is you know, thinking twice about keeping the role as Batgirl tearing off the bat symbol off her chest um, the last issue of Batgirl in July had actually no Batgirl whatsoever in it and because she's contemplating giving up the role of Batgirl. So what kind of ramifications could actually occur for this storyline if Batgirl actually doesn't be Batgirl? Well, 
the reality is, is if Batgirl, for whatever reason, decides not to be Batgirl and is and is no longer part of the Birds of Prey, we don't really have a team anymore. We have Strix and Black Canary. That's it. That's all that would be left. I mean, it looks like I'm not sure if Condor is going to be part of the team or if he's going to go back with his old bad friends or whatever's going on there. But the ramifications would be this team realistically can't lose another member, or it's just going to. And, and they want to get Black Canary a solo book. I'm totally fine with it. Um, but that's where I think that we're headed. I, I just didn't like the way this was handled in this book, to be honest with you. I mean, she leaves, and then she comes back, and it's like, oh, I'm really distraught. I killed my brother. And if you're reading the Batgirl series, I mean, I understand that each book stands alone. I'm, I know those things. But this doesn't. This level of, of, of not having continuity is, is the problem we had with Bane in the last issue where we talked about Batwoman. They need to talk to each other a little bit more because this doesn't make any sense. She's back. She's in costume. And I'm assuming we're about to have a... Um, some kind of story arc with, you know, her going after Black Canary or whatever it's going to be moving forward in Birds of Prey, and there really isn't time to fit that into the Batgirl timeline because she goes from whacking her brother to taking the bat symbol off and not being Batgirl. So when does this happen? So she kills, or do we, we know she doesn't. James Gunn Jr. doesn't die, but so she tries to kill him, and then she goes home and talks to the roommate, and then goes back to the Birds of Prey, or is it? I don't. I mean, I just it, the whole thing. They shouldn't have mentioned it at all, and just had this happen before the James Junior stuff, and then cut back to it after the story arc. Because I think trying to shoehorn it in doesn't doesn't work. Yeah. the The biggest problem is that this the the James Gordon Junior stuff happened a couple months back. It wasn't like this just happened last month, and they're catching up one issue later. You know, one month later, this happened a couple a couple months ago. Because we had the issue this month that had nothing to do with it. Uh, the last two issues before that had to deal with the the stupid new ventriloquist character that Gilsman created. And then the month before that was the actual issue where that happened. So why is it that this is that they're doing this three months after the fact? At that point, it's almost as if the writer of the series, Christy Marks, picked up a copy of Batgirl in, back in... Uh, back in April and said, hey, um, let's think. I should probably mention this in my story. And then she wrote it into her story, but because there's a three-month delay, that's what happened. I mean, like, that's literally what it comes up to be. And it, again, it just comes across as this is not, you know, they're not really doing what they need to do with these bat books. And I know that this isn't necessarily a bat book per se compared to Nightwing or Batgirl, but the fact that Batgirl's in this book and it's referencing something that happened in Batgirl, they need to have a little bit better continuity with these things that are happening. You know, the fact that, okay, so if the next couple issues focus on Condor and Black Canary being taken away and they don't focus on Batgirl and Strix at all, that's fine. I guess they could explain in some way, shape, or form that Batgirl wasn't being Batgirl. But where's the ramifications for her not being around Strix, who is you know, who is obsessed with only being around Batgirl. Yeah, I don't... And here's the other problem, too. Strix is obsessed with being around Batgirl. So in all this stuff we see in Batgirl, where the hell is Strix? Yeah. I mean, the, here's the thing. Like, I understand that doing Batman can be difficult because he's in, like, four books every month plus the Justice League and everything else. So almost by necessity, that timeline's going to get screwed up. I wish it didn't, but that's... When you when you got a character appearing at nine books a month or whatever it is, I get it. You're going to script the timelines. Batgirl's only in two books. <laughs> She's only in Batgirl and Birds of Prey. Uh, so if Christy and Gail could email each other periodically to 
kind of straighten things out, I think we'd all appreciate it. Yeah, I and you know I say this again because there's such there's there has been a, such a big deal made about this in the past about the fact that there's not enough female creators in comics, and you would think that the fact that there's two female creators writing a character uh, writing the same character in two different books, you would think that they would have a little bit better communication, and if they don't. That's the editor's fault, number one, and then it also lies on the editor editorial staff for not really making this flow a little bit more, a little bit better. There, you know, an event such as as large as Barbara killing her brother should not be addressed three months after the fact in another book that stars her as a main character. No, and that's that's a huge problem. The only way, like I said, I had just been assuming that this whole arc was going to happen. And then we were going to have a, a quote-unquote stopping point, and then we would pick up down the road. I really did, because that, that was the only thing that made sense to me. But moving forward now, I don't know what they're going to do, because I, I, what, what I'm afraid is going to happen is we're just going to have three or four issues with Black Canary and that, and then we'll just pick up Batgirl whenever we get back to her, and that's kind of lazy. Yeah. All right, so Birds of Prey, number 22, I'm going to give this a two out of five batterings. Took the words right out of my mouth. I give Birds of Prey two out of five batterings. All right, Birds of Prey, number 22, gets a total of two out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 22. Now, so, you four have all this power, and all you do with it is kill for money. From what I hear, we've got that in common. You heard wrong. I thought you'd put up more of a fight. Oh, the fight hasn't started yet. I'm just stalling. What the hell took you so long? Shut up and fight. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 22. Dangerous People. Writer, James Tenyon IV. Artist, Jules Gopez. This... Scene. Uh, the book opens up with Roy, um, who is now decided to help the Untitled that we saw in last month's issue, and he is working on some weapons to attack the League. Uh, we then cut back to Jason, who is talking to Bronze Tiger and you know going over the whole fact that he doesn't want to be a killer and that he's reformed now. Um, and then it's on the Starfire, who is picking a fight with Essence, uh, trying to get some information out of her. Starfire tells her that Roy is working with the Untitled on breaking the seals to the city of the League of Assassins. And Essence tells her that if they do nothing, you know, if the Untitled can, can get into the city of the uh, League of Assassins, then they're never going to be able to be stopped. Back to Jason, and he is uh, out with all, of, all the, the members of the League of Assassins that we've seen so far. And he's being showed around the death markets. We find out that Ch Cheshire seems to have some kind of crush on Roy. And we also see Lady Shiva training some recruits who don't do a very good job, so she kills all of them. We then find that the defenses of the League's stronghold could withstand a blast of exactly 400 terawatts, which I'm led to believe is a significant amount. We then see that Roy has made a gun that will produce 600 terawatts, uh, so that's enough. Uh, back to Starfire, we get to see some exposition of the history of the Lazarus Pit and the fact that it is linked to the Untitled and that it's destroyed, nothing's going to be able to stop them. We then see the, the League of Assassins in a council meeting, where it is revealed that Talia told the League that only Jason knows how to stop the Untitled, but of course, either due to him not actually knowing or his member being wiped, he has no idea how to actually do it. 
Uh, at this point, Roy shows up and prepares to assault the League in a whole suit of kind of pseudo-armor and weapons that he's built. Uh, next up, they call him Arsenal for a reason. Um, we got an origin story here for the Lazarus Pit, which is kind of weird to get a... It's a short thing, but we do get an origin story for a thing. This is something that really ties into the Batman universe's history is the Lazarus Pit. What did you think of this kind of explanation of where the Lazarus Pits come from? You know, I think that the explanation is okay because it's not really stepping on anything that's ever happened in a previous story. Um, they've talked about the Lazarus Pits before, but they've never really gave like the the idea of where they came from. They also the they when they were talking about this, they also talked about the fact that Razel Ghul was linked to the Razel Ghul was linked to the All Cast and actually was in love with. Uh, uh, Essence's mother at one point, and then in turn, he promised to make sure that he would he would keep the fountain safe so that the Untitled would not be able to take it over. Basically, it was like Ra's al Ghul became the the guardian of the neutral aspect to keep to align good and evil and keep good from overcoming evil or evil overcoming good. So I think it was an interesting thing. I don't really have any problems with it because it's not stepping on anything that I'm familiar with. And if there was a Lazarus Pit origin story, it really didn't bother me specifically for the fact that, you know, it doesn't step on anything that I've ever known about the Lazarus origin story. There might have been something in the past, but it wasn't something as extensive as this and doesn't really tie into something like this. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I when I saw it, my first thought was, does this clash with continuity? And then I realized... I don't think it, this has ever really been explored, you know. So I, I think it was fine. Um, I think it's interesting to get that that you know it's in Red of the Outlaws. We get this this background story in the Lazarus Pit. So I thought it was I thought it was very 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 interesting. Um, you know, the other thing here is we see Roy Harper finally do something in a way when he comes up with this uh, very convenient amount of terawatts powered uh, device here, and. Um, I read Green Arrow, and I, I know that you read Green Arrow, so from what we've seen in the New 52, is, is Roy Harper this talented of a weaponsmith, or is he being made a little too big for what he can actually do in this? Well, I think that he's being made a little bit too big. Now, I could argue that you know some of the stuff that, that recently just happened in Red Hood and the Outlaws, with them having them introducing the Royal Bots in uh, the, I believe it was the issue right before the annual, or right after the annual, and then the annual to when Green Arrow comes into Roy's secret lair or whatever, I think that they've been they did slowly build up the fact that Roy is a very experienced, I guess, you know, engineer, scientist, whatever you want to call him, you know, creator of inventions and things like that. But it is just a little convenient how literally one page says nothing more than 400 terawatts is going to get in here. I just created something that's 600 terawatts. It's like, that's just a little too convenient. Um, especially since, I, I don't know, I mean, like, if it was explained, it wasn't explained clearly enough, how in the world Roy would know exactly what he needed to create in order to be able to get into this. And, you know, if it just takes some sort of electrical shock with a specific amount of terawatts, it doesn't really seem like a whole, a really decent way of preventing somebody from getting into a place like that uh i mean obviously terawatts is a lot of energy but it just seems as if it's a little over the top also the last page 
um, where Roy's standing there with like some sort of like Transformers Power Rangers suit of weapons attached to his entire body. It's a little weird because they haven't really shown him use any of the weapons that he supposedly has now. So that's that's the other disconnect is the fact that like they have barely showed him using any weapons at all over the course of the series and now all of a sudden he's walking around with all of these things and they're pointing out, oh, well they call him Arsenal for a reason. Ha ha ha. That might have been an editor thing at the end, you know, to, you know, lead into the next book. But that's kind of stupid because, again, they've never really referenced him as Arsenal in this book. Yeah, I don't think he's really been referenced as Arsenal really for the majority of his time in the New 52. So a lot of people could be reading that and and literally going, what are they talking about? You know, I mean, if you had just been reading Red Hood and the Outlaws and you saw that, you would not get the joke, you know. Um, and I do, and, and that last that last page with him in the Transformers costume, it's it doesn't look right. It doesn't even that whole scene. It just looks, I don't know. It looks it looks really wrong. And and plus, I I really had a problem with the book that you're telling me the out of all the you know kind of crazy scientists we have on the planet with the Lex Luthers of the world and and even the Wayne Enterprises guys that Roy is the only guy on the planet and the only guy for thousands, hundreds of years that's been able to make this device to breach the city of the League of Assassins for the Untitled. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, not to mention the fact that the Untitled s- sought him out specifically because he's such a great scientist but nobody else even gives two craps about him. Yeah, and that's that's the thing is it would have been it would have made more sense if they'd sought out someone who was kind of evil or a villain to help them because I don't believe Roy is on a scientific level that a lot of evil villains in the universe aren't on. You know, um, I, so the whole thing kind of just the the four hundred to six hundred terawatts page thing is beyond convenient, and I just I didn't like this. I didn't like the way that part of the story felt. I understand what they're trying to do with it, uh, what Tinian is trying to do with it. I just think that it didn't quite work, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah. the The other thing I wanted to bring up though is, uh, so they they show Lady Shiva, and I don't know if you noticed this, but. So Lady Shiva was in Nightwing for two issues, um, and she had this weird, stupid ponytail that had some blade. Oh, the yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it was really dumb. But here in this book, she throws the blades. She doesn't have it attached to her hair, and if you also noticed, her hair is actually cut short, where it's basically you know a little bit a little bit long, but it's basically like shoulder length. If if that, it's probably like neck length, but. They completely changed her hair. That was the first difference I saw. The other thing that I thought was interesting is the fact that they referred to Talia. And as I was reading this, I was thinking, I hadn't read Batman Incorporated number 13, so I don't know how it plays out. But I was thinking to myself, if Talia and the League of Assassins is such a huge thing right now, why are they not showing any of the members of the, the Al Ghul family? And then I thought, maybe it's because of whatever happens in Batman Incorporated, and that's the reason why... It doesn't actually, they're not showing any of the Al Ghuls. But they reference her, say that she specifically sought Jason out to do this. But this contra I mean, like, we all know that everything that's happening in Batman Incorporated has really little to do with the New 52. And it's still set in kind of the pre New 52 world because it really doesn't take place with what's going on in most of the books right now. But. I wanted to know your thoughts on the idea of basically them referencing Talia's having them state that she was the one who said that Jason was the only one who could stop them, blah, blah, blah. 
basically they're referencing Red Hood and the Lost Days, which was a miniseries before the New 52. They're referencing that, where Talia brings him back to life, uh, and, and gets him trained, and wants him to work for her, because basically he's like the Batman reject, and she's trying to twist him into basically being a member of the League of Assassins. That's what they're going on. But the problem that is, is that everything that happens in Batman Incorporated, even though it's outside of what we have seen, it's contradicting everything that's being said right here and there. Um, now, there's a lot of contradictions because obviously the, there's there's other elements, but the, the biggest thing is, even if you go back to the fact that, okay, he's lost his memory, he doesn't have any memories at all, how is he going to get all his memories back and be convinced to work for the League of Assassins? As he says himself, why would I work for you if you want me to kill people when, in turn, I just left a team that was trying to tell me that killing people was a good thing? And then... They're like, oh, well, we're actually trying to do something good. Yeah, this might be one good thing, but if he's supposed to be the leader of the League of Assassins, how's that going to work? It's not going to work. I mean, I guess that's the easiest answer, but I, I just don't understand, you know... I, I guess that Talia was maybe looking at Jason pre his little memory trip. I mean, you know, the, the Jason that we start with back in Red Hood and the Outlaws number one, his characters probably came along as much as, as any character in DCU has since the New 52. I mean, he's, he's a totally reimagined character. Now, I mean, we forget it was three or four years ago before the New 52 where Jason was a bad guy. Not even like a anti-hero, a bad guy, you know? Um, so he's came a long way, but I don't know. I mean, I don't see where it's going to fit in at all. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense, to be totally honest with you. Um, you talk about the end of, of Batman, Inc., well, where's where's Rachel go? Why isn't he here? I mean, we know he's a running around out there, you know. Um, this is the city of the League of Assassins, and he's not there. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then I guess the other thing is that I would be curious to hear what you had to say about it was if Jason has no memory, and so he doesn't know the secret to beating the, you know, Untitled, which is which was his whole purpose for them bringing him here was he was going to lead them in the war against the Untitled because Talia said that he knew the secret and he doesn't know the secret does he have any value to the League of Assassins anymore? I I don't think he does. I mean like really they're looking at this guy and saying oh he's the one person maybe it has nothing to do with actually his knowledge but maybe it's something to do with his skills but he doesn't have any superhuman skills like some of these other characters that are part of the League of Assassins so Really, what's what's he going to do? I mean, it had to be some sort of knowledge. He's lost all of his memories. So basically, what's the what's the, the thing that's going to happen here? That somehow the League of Assassins is going to have some sort of device, potion, uh, you know, rock that he has to touch in order to give him all his memories back. And then all of a sudden, it all goes back to square one. And then it's like, okay, so why do we spend all these months with him losing his memories? Like, what's the point? Like, the problem is I just don't see a lot of advancement because I feel like we're all just going to... It's all just going to revert back to a specific point. But that's, like, the story of this series. You know, they, they take two steps forward, they take one step back. And it's, like, two issues forward, one issue back. It's, like, the same thing every month. Yeah, and I think what you're going to see happen here is... And I think it's pretty transparent. I mean, I hope I'm wrong because it would be nice. But I, I think what you're going to see here is very simple. Like you said, there's going to be something's going to happen the next issue, two issues, three issues, 
where the Untitled are invading the city of the League of Assassins, and the world's going to end, and then zap, Jason's going to get his memories back. It's going to turn out he really does know the secret beating him, because Talia told him to him before she got capped. And he's going to defeat the Untitled, and him and Starfire and Roy and whoever else they decide to grab and their merry little gang, probably Essence, are going to go along together and be one big happy family again. And if you and if they do that, then what was the point of all this? Yeah. So. All right, so Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 22, I'm going to give a total of three out of five batterings. I am going to give Red Hood and the Outlaws three and a half out of five. All right, so that's going to give Red Hood and the Outlaws a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Talon. Number 10, written by James Tingy IV, art by Miguel Sepulveda. Holy rested metal, Batman! Uh, the issue starts off with uh, Sarah Washington being brainwashed by the Court of Owls. Uh, we then see that the Butcher and Casey Washington are being forced to watch, or that the Butcher is forcing Casey Washington to watch this. Uh, the Butcher ends up leaving after he explains that once Kelvin's dead, she's dead too. Um, as the Butcher leaves, we cut to Santa Prisca, where uh, ta- uh, Kelvin is actually fighting Wolf Spider. Uh, after we get a nice little exposition of how exactly Wolf Spider came to get his powers, um, basically we are we cut to another side of Santa Prisca, where Bane is um, trying to find out exactly what's the delay. He explains to him. Uh, he explains to the uh, Grandmaster Sebastian Clark that. We're ready to move. We're starting to load. We're going to Gotham as right, you know, right now. Uh, cut back to Wolf Spider, who appears that he has completely taken out Calvin Rose. Um, right on the other side of the wall, where all of the men are, uh, he tells Bane that he's been dealt with, and then Calvin Rose, ap- uh, uh, you know, rises out of the rubble because hey, he's got the talent formula, so he doesn't die. Uh, meanwhile, at the Gotham Public Library, the Butcher comes back into the uh, room where Casey Washington's being held, and it turns out that uh, she's gone. Uh, we then see that she is in the library, and she's trying to make her way through. Uh, back at Santa Prisca, Calvin Rose takes out Wolf Spider, but then is surrounded by a number of men with ridiculously large guns. Wolf Spider tells him that, you know, something's going to, something's going to change, but uh, we're going to deliver him to Bane. Um, somebody comes up with some blades and is about to and, and ends up killing or slicing the venom hoses off of Wolf Spider, and it's revealed that it's actually the two uh, agents of Casey Washington that we saw in the last issue. Uh, we then see a number of uh, men on Venom, kind of like imploding. Or exploding, I guess, because they have too much venom going through their bodies. Uh, the other agent, the the large, uh, the large buff guy, appears, and uh, as as one of the one of the creatures, which it appears to be Wolf Spider, but it, I can't be for sure just based off the art. It appears that he's going after Talon. When uh, Talon takes him out, Wolf Spider is laying there and appears to. I don't know, be dead or something. So the four of them are have a little discussion about where, what exactly they need to do to get Casey Washington back. Um, Calvin explains that you know she's smart and she'll be able to get out of it. We then cut back to the uh, we then cut back to the library where Casey Washington is trying to make her way out. She's stopped by two rent-a-cops who also happen to be part of the Court of Owls. Uh, she then. 
uh, grabs a gun and actually shoots up in the air, having her having a real GCPD policeman show up, handcuff her to take her away so she gets out of the actual building. Meanwhile, back at Santa Prisca, Anya gets another message that she has out of the that Casey is out of the custody of the Corvals, uh, but they have to figure out what exactly to do to get her to be safe. Uh, just as they're about to leave. Uh, Bane approaches with a number of more of his venom-induced henchmen, and he says, I'd say your troubles are just beginning. Next up, the drums of war. Alright, so Talon number 10. Um, so, just a couple of things. The first thing is, we're seeing a lot more use of the venom throughout all of these different characters that are on Santa Prisca. Uh, we didn't really talk about this last issue because Wolf Spider was introduced at the end, but now we're seeing a number of other characters that have, you know, Venom strength and things like that. So, what do you think of the idea of basically Bane not only having this army of just soldiers, but also having, I guess, his his first tier of soldiers having these different powers and power sets based off of their use of Venom? I actually think it does make sense, to be honest with you. I mean, if you were going to have an army and you had a way to superpower yourself, wouldn't you want some of your soldiers to be kind of superpowered as well? So I, I think this makes sense. And Bane's army looks like an army in this book, too. I mean, you have the superpowered guys that you're talking about, and then you have the fact that he's got, like, battleships, you know? So this is, it looks like an, a real-deal army, but I absolutely think that that he would, would, I mean, it's not going to be a moral or ethical dilemma for the guy. We know that, you know. Um, so we know he's going to do, he, he would probably do this. And I think that that could be a real interesting threat. I think it's got to get outside the Talon universe. Uh, because I think the idea of Bane and an army of, of Venom-powered thugs descending on Gotham City could be a very interesting kind of cross-bat books uh, event. But I don't think that that's where they're going to go with this. All right. And then the only other thing I, ha- I want to talk about is... We we are we see the characters uh, Casey Washington's agents reappear. The three of them reappear. Uh, they 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 were in the last issue, but now they're on Santa Prisca, and they're right there helping Calvin Rose. So predictions just basically based off the fact that these people have returned. Casey Washington's out of the custody of the Court of Owls. And we know that for a fact that Bane is going to be heading to Gotham one way or the other because of the events of what's going to happen forever evil Arkham War. So, predictions, what you think is going to happen? What I think is going to happen is that they're going to rescue Calvin. They're going to get off the island. On the way out, they're going to plant some type of booby trap, explosive, decimating the majority of his army, the ships and the boats and the kind of heavy artillery type deal and just Bane and some of his henchmen are going to go looking for Calvin. That's all I got. That's a a little bit further out than what I was thinking. I was thinking more on the lines of basically they're just going to come up with some way of escaping and concentrate on worrying about Casey Washington and getting Sarah Washington out of the custody of the Court of Owls and Bane is just going to say, you know what, forget it, I don't want to have anything to do with this talent. There's a much bigger mission at hand here which is taking over Gotham and taking out the Court of Owls in Gotham, that's a much larger thing than worrying about some stupid Talon who has three little people, and I've got an army full of people. So, Isn't it amazing how fast that Casey Washington's henchmen got to Santa Prisca, though? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, unless they were vacationing on that beach we saw them on was on the other side of the island, you know, I don't see how they got there that fast. Because this whole yeah. fight thing happens within minutes. I mean, he is... We go from him fighting Whoop Spider to them showing up. I know, I thought the time frame was a tad bit compressed. Yeah, the the time frame is a little bit com- compressed, especially since we saw in the last issue uh, Casey used the, the signal to tell them, and she only did that after she freed herself. And then this issue, you know, it's unlikely that she would free herself, use the thing, and then sit there for multiple days later before she actually escapes. At some point, I would think that the butcher would be slapping her around and figure out that she's no longer chained up. Um, but I guess that's that's just me. There is a little bit of a, a problem because you know they make a point to say that they came up with a plan to get onto Santa. Pr- well, they they actually they did say that they had a plan to get into Santa Prisca previously, that was very different from what what Calvin used. But at the same point, it just it comes across as wow. You had a plan, but somehow you were able to implement that plan in hours. Because the last issue was literally him fighting Wolf Spider at the same time they were being contacted. And next thing you know, he's still fighting Wolf Spider, and they're there. So, there is a huge problem with the time. Alright, so Talon number 10, I'm going to give a total of 2.5 out of 5 batterings. Uh, Talon number 10, I'm going to give 3 out of 5. Alright, so Talon number 10... It's a total of two and a half out of five bad ranks. Let's move into our next book, Teen Titans number 22. So where's Robin? With the Titans. The who? You'll meet him someday. Teen Titans number 22, Dark Titans. Writer Scott Liddell, artist Eddie Barrows. Uh, We start back off in this book uh, right in the middle of the big battle with Trigon in New York City. Uh, Raven has split herself into several different avatars of herself to fight off Wonder Girl, Superboy, Bunker, and Kid Flash, who are all still possessed by Trigon. Uh, Red Robin, Beast Boy, and Raven uh, are fighting off Trigon himself. Uh, Trigon mocks Robin, telling him that he is the least powerful of the group, but that that does make him fight harder. Uh, Trigon disappears in a puff of smoke. (laughs) All of the members of the team who are under the mind control are now free. Um, everybody was horrified of being controlled by evil except Kid Flash, who says it felt comforting. Uh, Amanda, Amanda Waller and her gang show up and does her best Men in Black impersonation as she scrubs the minds of everyone, and no one will remember the Titans being in New York City. She also says that she is taking uh, Simon into her custody and that she has now paid her debt in full and does not want to see the then the Titans do not want to see her again because it would be bad for them. She also lets them know that they in fact, wasn't this whole group of soldiers that was killed because no soldiers were actually dispatched. Um, so all that was just mind trickery or hallucinations um, uh, from Trigon. Uh, several hours later, and we see uh, the whole gang's assembled on the Titan's boat, and Raven is offered membership into the Titans, and she accepts it. Um, she then spills the beans on Red Robin to the entire team and says that he has been under the influence of Trigon for a while, and he made everyone rely on him for a place to live so he could have control over them. He took the battle to the government. He made enemies of Waller and had intimate encounters with both Cassie and Kieran, all under the influence of Trigon. She then walks off to get some alone time, and it is revealed that she is a spy for Trigon because she communicates with her father. Um, Bart punches Tim for making out with his girl, and then he runs off. Uh, Everyone on the team is very upset with Tim for the things that he's 
done. Uh, Bart's in his room, and he tells Karen that he wants to be left alone. Uh, when a portal opens, and uh, a being tells him that he cannot escape justice, and then his real name is Bartor. Uh, then Bart, or Bartor, is grabbed by many hands and pulled through a portal. Uh, looks like Back to the Future is where he's going. Next up, the end of a Titan, but not the one that you think. Uh, I got a couple questions of note on this issue. Um, the first one, we'll deal with them in the chronological order they appear in the book. The fight with Trigon ends literally, abruptly, in a puff of smoke. What do you think about that kind of a... We've had this big battle building up for two or three issues now, and it ends by Trigon disappearing. I think it's a really poor way of ending it, but I don't want I don't think I want it to be ended any other way differently because this Trigon story to me was just a little bit outside of what I'd like to be able to like uh, what I've liked like to see in Teen Titans and it also pointed out so many different faults with the Teen Titans that I'm just glad it is over. At the same time, I I'm sure you'll get to it, but the idea of Raven being a spy for Trigon and this all basically it makes sense when you look at it from the perspective of basically this was meant for a position for Raven to really get in with the Teen Titans very close to them because it happened so abruptly and I think that's the the reason of why it happened so abruptly was because it was like poof she can explain it whatever way she wants and they trust her they bring her into the team and then in turn you know, Trigon goes missing, but reality is that she's working with Trigon. So it makes sense in that regard. The, yeah, but yeah, and I see what you're saying. But here's the problem I have with this is a this is a, a cliched problem that we have in so many movies and, and comic books over the years, which is Trigon is the upper hand in the fight by a lot. He could just kill him, you know. And I know that one of his deals is he likes to make people you know miserable and hate each other and all that, but. I agree that I didn't want the story to go on any, any farther with Trigon. I just wanted it to end. I don't. I wish they had something, at least where they felt like they'd beat him, even if it showed that they didn't. Because, you know, at some point, Red Robin Tim is, is, is fairly intelligent or was fairly intelligent back in the day. You'd think that he would put this together at some point, and maybe he already has. Um, and maybe that's some exposition we'll see. But I didn't think it was an odd way to end a three-issue fight was to have the bad guy leave town. Um and then kind of the, the next thing that, you know, for months we've been getting the Tim Drake is being controlled. Uh, we, everyone had a theory on it. Turns out it was just Trigon that was doing it. And, you know, everyone gets really upset with him for all this heinous, evil stuff he did under the control of Trigon. But is it the team being kind of hypocritical since Superboy, Wonder Girl, and Bunker were literally just trying to kill him under the control of Trigon like a couple hours ago? And he's not holding it against them? I mean, isn't this kind of a hypocritical stance here from the team? Oh, yeah. It's definitely hypocritical because, I mean, they all, they all if you look at it from a different perspective, they've all had their own issues. And the one thing that's kind of kept them together is Tim Drake. So, you know, Tim Drake being under the control of something that he had absolutely no power over isn't something that he would be able to deal with anyway. Like, he shouldn't be blamed for that. And, like, the fact that everyone gets so upset with him because of that is just absolutely ridiculous. It's like, oh, Raven's revealing to everyone that, by the way, he's been under the control of Trigon. That should be enough right there. 
she goes on to say all this other stuff, which is basically like, well, it's kind of weird that she's saying all of this stuff. It really just seems like she's trying to, you know, pit everyone against Tim Drake for some reason. That's not really the, the, the like, it doesn't make any sense of why she's doing it. If I'm looking at it from a team perspective, or if I'm looking at it from, I'm Tim Drake, or I'm somebody that's mad at Tim Drake, I'm looking at it from, wait a second, so you start off with saying he was under the control of Trigon, and then you're going to give this long list of all this stuff that he did. Why do you know all of this stuff that he did, number one? Number two, if he was under the control of Trigon, fine. But why should he be held accountable for that stuff? That's like saying, oh, well, you know, uh, Superboy, you were controlled by Red Kryptonite, and you decided to, you know, hit on my girlfriend, so because of that, I'm mad at you. He didn't have any control over it, because he was on something or controlled by something that didn't have, that made him uncontrollable of his actions. Like, it's a stupid, stupid idea. The fact that Bart gets all pissed off and... And, and runs off and hits him on the way and it's like and Tim Drake's like well I guess I deserve that no you don't deserve it you were under the control of a different being it wasn't you doing it like okay maybe if it was explained where Trigon had control but he was just the Tim Drake was under the control that was giving him the ability to act out on things that he would normally not do but it was things that he thought about doing that's a different thing but it was never explained like that so the entire idea of him being having everybody upset by, uh, at him because of Trigon possessing him is stupid. Yeah, and it's and I just don't understand why Tim doesn't just state the most obvious fact, especially when Wonder Girl is giving him that that I uh, disappointed in you look, you know. Why does he just go, you just tried to kill me three hours ago, you know, because you were under the control of someone else. I kissed some chick. Like, what's worse? You know? I just don't, I don't understand why... It would have been more of a reveal if, if Raven had revealed that Tim had done these things and had not revealed he was under the influence of Trigon. Wouldn't have that fit the plan better, don't you think? Yeah, I, I don't really have anything on this. I, I, I think it's just, you know, it, it might have fit the plan better, but I, I think if I was looking at it from Tim being as smart as they've portrayed him in the New 52, he would clearly be able to deduce that Raven is clearly trying to draw the team against him based off of the exact wording that she used to say that. Maybe one thing if she said, oh, well, he did this, he did this, he did this, he did this, everybody's getting really mad, and then you end it with, but he was under the control of Trigon. Right, and I think that would have made a lot more sense. So it's funny, because we've had this, again, this is something we've, we've had a problem with recently, we've had these multi-story, multi-issue stories leading up to a bad reveal, which is what we get here. Um, and then the other thing that is, Something to do with this book, and I don't know if you read the Justice Leagues or Suicide Squad, but uh, and Batgirl even with the, the James Gordon Jr. stuff. But Amanda Waller, to, and this is just kind of do with this book, kind of do with DCU in, in general. Do you feel like Amanda Waller is kind of overused as the when anything goes wrong, Amanda Waller is the person that comes and cleans it up person? Yes, and uh, a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're. I think that they're. Pre-New 52, Amanda Waller was used here and there, but, like, she was only used, and really the only time we ever saw her was when there was giant events. And she was used in the same way, where, you know, she would she would be the, 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 the simple exposition explanation of how to clean up certain situations. And that's what she was used for. So, I mean, like, here, they're using her for that. 
I will tell you the truth, though. I, besides the art, I didn't actually realize it was Amanda Waller. Like I thought it was Amanda Waller, but I thought it was weird that they were the 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 conversation between the Titans and her. It was very odd because it seemed as if they didn't know who she was. She had to explain who she was without actually saying her name. She just said she worked for an organization. She came from a portal instead of like a ship or something. She comes from a portal. She just appears, says, oh, I work for this blah, blah, blah organization. We've just mind-wiped everybody, and uh, there's no actual soldiers because that's just what Trigon does, which is actually explained by Raven. But, like, the entire conversation, I'm thinking, who the hell is this person? And then I'm thinking, it sure looks like Amanda Waller, but the, the way the Titans are talking to her, they're acting like they don't know who <laughs> she is. But it was only about three issues ago that Amanda Waller was in the book and the Titans were talking to her. So, what in the... I mean, like, I don't know. It, he, I, I didn't... I didn't Honestly, if you looked at the art, you would think it's Amanda Waller. When you read nothing but the dialogue and you didn't look at the art, you would have no clue that it was Amanda Waller. And here's the problem. Like, I understand that artists and writers will make continuity errors on stuff that happened 15 years ago. We all wish they wouldn't, but they are, they're going to. Hell, I would if I was writing, and I know this stuff pretty well, right? Like, you didn't know about something that happened 15 years ago that another writer did. I'll give you a free pass. That happens sometimes. But he just wrote this issue like three months ago, like you said, and now she walks up and like, who's this chick? You know? I don't, yeah, I just, and I don't like Amanda Waller. Like you said, she shows up in what is it? I mean, I guess some type of boom tube or, you know, and, and waves her magic wand and everyone in, in New York City is going to forget. I mean, she's becoming like the Wizard of Oz. She's too powerful, you know? Um, yeah, I just, it wasn't even specific to this book. I just feel like her, she's being just overused as such a simple MacGuffin of snap her fingers and everything's going to be fine. So, that's all I got. All right. So, Teen Titans number 22, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batteries. I am going to give Teen Titans number 22 a total of two out of five batteries. All right, so that's going to give Teen Titans number 22 a total of two out of five batteries. Let's move into our last book, Catwoman number 22. It's a brazen costume for a cat burglar. Yeah, who are you pretending to be? Written by Anne Ocenti, art by Rafas Endoval. The issue starts off with a number of the community members paying tribute to Rattail and a number of other people while Catwoman watches on. Uh, the sinkhole that appeared um, from the situation that happened between Catwoman and Penguin in the last issue has actually been, it's actually being filled in with cement by the city. Uh, Catwoman actually ends up dropping the jewel that she stole from Penguin in the first place into the cement. Uh, below uh, below Gotham City, uh, what we would suppose is somewhere in the sinkhole, we see the character Volt uh, crawling around looking for some energy. Um, we then cut to uh, Alice Tesla, and it appears that she's... This is the same character who appeared in the Catwoman annual. She makes gadgets for Catwoman as long as Catwoman in turn does something for her. She explains that uh, she'll give... Catwoman a map of the underground of Gotham only if she goes and gets a diamond or a uh, gems from a funeral home that is actually pressure pressure in some way shape or form pressure cooking cremated ashes into diamonds. 
if she goes and gets one of these so she can study them, she will in turn give her what she needs in order to get, navigate around the the underbelly of Gotham City. Uh, Catwoman goes there, uh, is attacked by some guy who is actually just a security guard with some weird, weird stuff. Where he's wearing some weird stuff. Uh, after Catwoman slams him onto a table next to a dead body, he takes she takes the gems and gets a diamond, and then in turn returns to Alice Tesla's workshop. Uh, we then see Alice give her what she needs: a holographic map as well as a written map. And Catwoman gives her the diamond. Uh, meanwhile, this uh, weird cat that was licking Catwoman's face in the last issue is following Catwoman all over the place. Uh, Catwoman goes to Arkham Asylum, gets uh, gets into the sewer, and actually climbs down some stairs. On her way down, she is attacked by some sort of creature. Meanwhile, at a boxing gym in Gotham, uh, Gwen approaches Trip. Uh, that's right, Gwen, the... Uh, former fence for Catwoman approaches Trip, the guy who is giving Catwoman jobs, and they talk about how, you know, how horrible Gwen has been, blah 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 and she wants to figure out how to make things right. Down in the underground of Gotham in Charnel Town, uh, we see Dr. Phosphorus talking to his daughter Tinderbox who happens to be the one who's creating these diamonds and gems um, she says that uh, she, she wants a man, she wants to be married. Dr. Phosphorus gets very upset. Uh, meanwhile, uh, it's it's brought to their attention that they have someone in their custody. As it turns out, it's Catwoman. Um, Dr. Phosphorus says, okay, Catwoman, here's the deal. Uh, you, work, you, you work for me as a spy and go to the other gang that lives in the underground and tell them that uh, we want to make a truce and that in turn... I will marry my daughter off to their son, uh, but we want to negotiate. Uh, we will give them 30 goats, 30 pieces of silver, and my daughter. Uh, the daughter is really happy. Catwoman mounts a horse, uh, the horse who's wearing a gas mask, and proceeds on the horse along with Tinderbox towards what we would expect to be the other gang, and the cat still follows in tail. Next, the Warhogs in No Blood, No Foul. Okay, so first off, what the hell? <laughs> I'm so glad you got... When I got the email that you were going to do this book and not me, I was relieved. Yeah. Um, so, here's the thing. Uh-huh. How many different possible s- directions is this book going? Like, this is literally like... And and I don't know any other way of saying this, but it is a giant cluster. F- it's awful. I, but there's no other way to put it. Basically, the issue starts off with Catwoman re- reacting to Rattail falling in the sinkhole. Rattail, who's been a prominent character in the last couple of issues, uh, the Penguin War, which is the Penguin versus the Rattails, uh, or, ra- or Penguin versus the Badlands. All of this has now been completely put on hold. Because we're under the assumption that Catwoman is going to go find Rattail. So what does she do? She goes back to the person who built her the, the gadgets to be told, Oh, well, if you want me to do this for you, then you have to do something for me. So go on this random mission that has nothing to do with anything. And, you know, other than, you know, we can have this random person attack you. You can slam him against some dead body, blah, blah, blah. Then I give you this gadget. 
so then she gets the gadget. So then she goes to the, the underground, only to be found, or only to be found by Doctor Phosphorus and his newly crowned daughter. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I've never seen this character before in my life in any other story. Tinderbox, no clue who this is, but she supposedly is the daughter of Doctor Phosphorus. She wants to be married, so now the entire plot is changed to Catwoman has to go be matchmaker for Dr. Phosphorus's daughter and some opposing underground gang son. And the and the, and the horses have gas masks on them too. You can't. I mean, that's a you know pretty. I don't know what the hell is going on in this book, man. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know why we go to the place to get the like. She talks about how she's in a hurry to find Rat Tail, but. She'll st- I mean, she should tell her friend Alice Tesla that I need to go now. I'll get you your diamond later. Then she goes in. The idea that there's a mortuary making diamonds out of people is weird enough. There's this bizarro, like, super security guard in there. I don't – I just don't – you know, if anybody is listening to this and really enjoys this, drop us a line and tell us why. Maybe I'm missing it. But I just don't think this makes any sense to me. Like, why is Doctor well, Phosphorus I, I, here? I, I don't. Th- I don't think you're missing anything. I think that real reality is that this is just completely all over the place because there's no real direction. Um, we've gone from Catwoman doing random heists to her having a feud with Penguin to there being a gang war because of her feud with Penguin to uh, the gang member from the gang that she was essentially thrown into because of her dislike of Penguin falling into a sinkhole to her going on a mission to find pressurized cremated body part diamonds to being matchmaker for for Dr. Phosphorus. I mean like there's so many and this has all happened in a matter of two to three months. I mean, like, there, there is no direction with this. I mean, like, it, the, the, at the end of the book, it clearly says that, you know, hopefully I will find Rat Tail while I'm down here. It's like... I guess. Really? So, I guess Rat Tail, Rat Tail can just sit on his own. He could be half dead. He might be dead. He might be alive. But, you know, hey, you've got to go, you know, steal diamonds for your gadget maker. And you've got to uh, be matchmaker for Dr. Phosphorus's daughter. It's like... Really, where's your priorities here? Because I don't really think you have any, you know, priorities. Yeah, you you really care about Rattail because you mentioned him multiple times throughout the book. But like, if he was really a big concern, they're filling the sinkhole with cement, which means he's clearly been down there for a while. The city just doesn't come in and say, "Hey, this just happened uh, two hours ago. We're gonna fill it in with cement." That doesn't happen. Well, and not to mention, you can't just fill a giant hole with cement. Like that's the other thing. Like that's, that's the art. <laughs> That's an artist thing, but you can't just fill a giant hole of cement and expect it just to sit there. Do you understand like, how much cement it would take to fill a hole that size? Not to mention, <laughs> nobody's going to fill just a, an empty hole with cement. It's never going to actually bond together. There's no rebar in there. I mean, like, okay, we're getting outside of the actual comic book world and more into construction, but it's just not going to happen. Um, speaking of outside of the normal world and in construction, since when did King Catwoman's whip break a metal chain. It's a pretty badass whip, man. Apparently. And I guess so. Now, the the craziest thing is, uh, I'm speaking about a couple of different panels that happen where Dr. Phosphorus, uh, Catwoman throws her whip around Dr. Phosphorus's neck. Dr. Phosphorus has every possibility to, to basically burn the whip 
with his hands. She in turn says in her mind that she has to find something that doesn't burn. So one panel later, she's using the same whip that was just burned by Dr. Phosphorus to cut a metal chain. She keeps it spare. <sighs> okay, well, that, you know, okay, fine. She can keep it <laughs> spare. I don't know any freaking whip that's going to cut metal, number one, okay? I had a huge problem with that because it didn't make any sense. Uh, they're continuing this crazy theme of having the the weird cat that licked her face follow around. She's making a point to say it's an ugly cat. Why does she? Why would she even care whether it's an ugly cat or a, 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 a amazing looking cat? It's a cat that just keeps following her. Who cares? Like she makes a point to say to Alice, "Oh, do you want this ugly cat? It keeps following me." Blah blah blah. I don't know. The other thing, uh, Alice Tesla. They make a point to say her name is actually Alice Tesla. This issue, I didn't, I didn't catch that in the annual. If they, they actually didn't. did, say, I actually went back and okay. checked. They just call her Alice in the annual. That's what I thought. So now they've decided to name her Alice Tesla, uh, linking her to Tex- Tesla, the one of the creators of the modern age electricity, which a lot of people associate with uh, Thomas Edison, but Nicholas Tesla had a huge part of that. But the they're linking her with the same last name to somebody that great. I guess in some ways it's it's good because, you know, somebody who created basically part of the modern age of electricity is being linked to this person who's now creating gadgets for Catwoman. Fine. But what... They're still not explaining anything. So it was two months ago we had that annual. They explained uh, nothing as far as who this character was. Now it's revealed who her last name is, but we still have no idea who she is, why she dresses the way she does, why she doesn't leave the building she lives in. Nothing's been explained. So, basically, I don't really have any questions. Uh, If you want to rant about anything, go right ahead. It's just stupid. I mean, I I guess the best thing we do here is we get the Tesla name check, and and those history buffs among us, like Dustin and I apparently, that know about Tesla and the invention of alternating current over Edison's direct current, you know? Uh, it's nice to get that thrown in there, but this book doesn't make any damn sense. Why is Dr. Foster here? How did he have a kid? I mean, physically, how did he have a daughter? Who did he procreate with? Uh, I'm assuming that this is not an actual daughter, but an adopted daughter, because I don't see him having kids in his current state. Um, Catwoman, I mean, granted, we didn't get a giant jug of milk in this issue, but it was just as stupid as the last one. Um, she waits for months. I mean... She waits for a construction crew to show up. Like you said, it would have taken days. If a guy fell in a hole, you go get the guy out of the hole. You don't wait a month. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just pure and simple. It's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. It's just it, the thing with the diamond and the and, and then they go and I mean I don't know. It just it sucks. I don't know. What to say. All right, Catwoman number twenty-two. I'm gonna give him one out of five batterings. One out of five. Catwoman 22 gets one out of five veterans. That is all of our books. Let's move straight over into listener Q&As because we do have a, a couple of different ones. Uh, first off, Dowd says, Regarding your confusion in talent number nine as to why Casey didn't try to escape earlier, Calvin slipped it to her when he kissed <laughs> slipped the, the lockpick when he kissed her. Then I'm assuming he didn't use the full two minutes because he knew how long it would take her to escape, and the butcher probably went and got some coffee or something, assuming Calvin would use the entire time, like the rest of the court believed they had him firmly under their control so they wouldn't try anything stupid. So, that is a good explanation. Um, the Obviously, that's probably where she did get the lockpick, and I, there was a couple different people who commented on that... Um, as far as that, but it would have been better if the art actually showed 
the lockpick being slipped to her, and they could have easily done that in a very small panel, but they didn't show it. Um, if I if they did, I I didn't see it because I missed it. Um, we but both missed it. Yeah. But going back to what we said with talent number ten this time around. It again shows that you know there's a huge problem with the timeline here because okay so if she did escape during that time while the butcher wasn't in the room and then she reappears or the butcher reappears in this issue you know there's a there's a problem with the time here and you know things are happening a lot quicker in some cases than other things are happening really slow in other cases yeah um it's it's a lot of lot of you know this this book needs cruise control it's someone who doesn't know how to drive Alright, so next up, Mary G says, I was unable to get a copy of Talon number 9 at the at the place I buy my comics, so I didn't actually get to see what was going on in the panels. But from your description of the action, I wonder if Calvin had, may have passed the key to Casey when he kissed her. I've seen that happen quite a bit on TV and in movies. I'm glad Casey had a way to contact her former team, but I wondered why she didn't contact them when the Butcher first captured her and had, had her lead him to Calvin. I will have to try to pick up a copy when I get out of town or download it digitally since I'm curious about Casey's relation to Calvin's appearance. The last time she saw him, he was on the floor with his neck snapped. As for Red Hood and the Outlaws, I really hope Jason does not go back to killing people if he gets his memory back, so I can't see how he would be a very good leader for the League of Assassins in that case. Finally, I was wondering if Birds of Prey and Talon have made anyone else think about the events of Night of Owls in a different light. Didn't Batman and his allies actually kill a lot of the Talons by cutting off their heads? Now we see that the Talons are basically the same in death as they were in life. Was it really okay for them to be killed? Aren't they superhuman from a process like many of Batman's other villains? Hmm. So, um, well, we already talked about Talons, so we won't talk about that again. Um, as far as Red Hood and the Outlaws, I well, we, we kind of already hinted at some of that stuff uh, when we talked about, you know, is he a good fit for the League of Assassins if he's lost his memory? So let's talk about uh, Birds of Prey and Talon and re- referencing Night of Owls. Um, I think that the biggest problem is that the Court of Owls was, it was led to believe during the Court of Owls story that S- Scott Snyder did in Batman. If you just look at that story, it's, we are led to believe that the Court of Owls is brought to their knees. They have very little resources left. They have very little members left. And then somehow, a couple months after Court of Owls wraps up in Scott Snyder's issues, all of a sudden now we have this story that's happening in Talon, which just basically reinforces that the Court of Owls was never actually dead. They just were hurt pretty badly for a very 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 short amount of time and now they can just bring all these other talents back blah 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 i don't know it's just it comes across to me as um you know the the end of the court of owls was supposed to be what scott snyder did dc said hey this sold great so let's do something different and we're gonna do something crazy with um we're going to do something crazy and, and have a spin-off series called Talon and focus on these Talons and the Court of Owls because Court of Owls did so well. And then they had to kind of rehash and disturb the actual ending of the original Court of Owls. I think that this is a problem I have with a lot of stuff that happens to Scott Snyder's work post-Scott Snyder writing it. Um, I had the same issue with the death of the family. I think that the issues that Scott Snyder, like you said, the Court of Owls story that Scott Snyder wrote is very, very good. But then they took it and they did all this other stuff with it. 
Um, I don't understand. I mean, the quarterfinals was supposed to be gone, and even when Talon first started, remember the uh, the one guy who now we know is the grandmaster, former grandmaster, was supposed to be like one of the last people left. But now it's like they're back in full force. I don't. I think this was handled very, very sloppily, um, and I just kind of wish they'd just go away. To be totally honest with you. All right, and the next comment we have comes from Alban888. They say, The Batwoman team had had big plans for Croc, but unfortunately DC apparently scrapped them for something else. That was what this story was set up for, but it's sadly now pointless, which makes me sad because I love this issue. So clearly they're, ref- they're referencing Batwoman21 where it was the Killer Croc story. Um, I do know exactly what he's talking about. I don't have the link off the top of my head, but I did remember reading something on Twitter from, uh, it was either J.H. Williams or W. Hayden Blackman about what they had planned for Killer Croc. Really? So, that's yeah. horrible. I, I mean, oops, sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Um, that's, not, that's not very cool. I mean, the interlude story, I mean, me and you both had problems with where it was placed, but the story itself was actually quite well done. Um, I think Killer Croc would have made it interesting. Listen, they need to take Nightwing and Red Hood and Batwoman and all these sidekicks. And this is one thing they're missing. Think about it. Whenever the Joker, Penguin, or Riddler show up in Batman, it's it's buzzworthy. People care about it. They need to identify each of these lesser characters with a villain. Killer Croc would have been great for Batwoman. And I mean, someone like that that you care enough about. Like, if you make Batwoman's villain like some new person they introduced this month, that's not going to have any of the gravitas. If you give her Killer Croc and then give Red Hood, oh, hell, I don't know, Black Mask, doesn't matter, but just give them an identifiable major, if not super classic villain, a, a slight B-lister, and make them their nemesis, I think that would be so good for these secondary books. Yeah, I actually, I did find the article. Um, basically, I'll read through it. Um, I'll try to summarize it because it is a pretty big post. This is comes from uh, W. Hayden Blackman's blog, HaydenBlackman.com, and it's entitled The Sad Fate of Killer Croc. It says, One of my favorite all-time comic stories is Batman 522 by Doug Monick and Kelly Jones. In that issue, Batman is tracking Killer Croc, who is rapidly devolving. As he transforms from killer to animal, he seeks only a safe place to hunt, hide, and sleep. When Batman finally crosses... When Batman finally closes in on Croc, Swamp Thing appears and takes responsibility for Croc, allowing him to live out his days in peace in the swamps. I'm a sucker for sympathetic monsters, and having one such monster, Swamp Thing, intervene on behalf of another seemed perfect. I never forgot this portrayal of Croc, mostly because it showed another side of the character that had been explored before. So, when Jim and I were first asked to pitch what became the Batwoman ongoing, one of the very first things we agreed upon was that we wanted to use Killer Croc. And more than that, we wanted to transform Killer Croc from a dull-witted thug into something more. First into the Hydra, then into a reluctant leader, and finally a villain worthy of Batwoman. We weren't on a quest to redeem him or even completely redefine him, but to ex- to expand upon what has become, what has come before and show that there's some depth to him. Incidentally, this was all part of the pitch for a limited series team-up between Batwoman and Wonder Woman, which then became the world's finest arc of the ongoing once we were tapped to take on the series. Issue number 21 is the accumulation of a lot of very early ideas around Croc. It's been on stands for a few weeks now, and the response has been incredible. 
This was hands down one of my favorite issues to write, so I'm definitely gratified to see that it has garnered such great reviews from critics and fans alike. Jim and I have been especially pleased that Francisco Francavella's artwork had been so well received. For me, his artwork harkens back to old school EC comics while still being wholly original and unique. Sadly, our journey with Croc seems to be over. Jim and I have been asked a lot lately why we're not participating in the upcoming Villains event running through all of the DC Comics in September and October. At DC's request, we did pitch two different stories. One pitch was for Killer Crocktail that would pick up directly after issue 21. Unfortunately, a last-minute decision from somewhere up the editorial chain killed it. Despite all the groundwork we laid, DC decided that Croc can't can't be connected to anything supernatural, metaphysical, or mythological in any way. I have been pretty heartbroken over the decision. Writing in his voice was incredibly ch- challenging, in the best possible way, and I thought that Jim and I were taking in taking him in some unexpected directions while remaining true to the tone and rules we have established in Batwoman. Elements of that story were also going to feed back into the ongoing in ways we'll now need to reconsider. The other pitch featuring a different villain was also originally accepted, but just before we started working on the script, someone at DC decided that the character wasn't recognizable or villainous enough for us to warrant his own issue. I don't want to give away anything else because Jim and I still believe in the story, so we've already found another way to integrate it into the ongoing. No Batwoman or Batwoman-related characters during the Villains Month. Fortunately, Batwoman number 22 is on sale next week. It features a cameo by some... Interesting established bat villains and formally introduces some new characters that Jim and I have planted with previous issues, who I who will play an important role in the rest of the arc, but in the next arc as well. I've just gotten in my combo, blah, blah blah blah. Okay, so wait a minute. Go ahead. Are you telling me that DC Comics didn't think that a character that's half human, half crocodile, should be around mythological or supernatural things? It's stupid. I mean, that's retarded. I saw the I saw the post on Twitter. I read this article and I thought it was absolutely insane that you know they decided against this. They decided against the Batwoman. I mean, they might have decided against the Batwoman character, uh, the villain story, because of whatever the reasons that he says they they stated. But I think it more has to do with the fact that Batwoman's not Batman. <laughs> we know they're not having. We know they're not having a Batgirl. We know they're not having a Nightwing. Uh, villains month story because they don't really have villains that they can really define although for some odd reason ventriloquist is being mm-hmm. focused on for some idiotic reason but um, I think the I think it's a it's a downfall because I think part of the problem is that a lot of people feel disconnected to Batwoman in some ways because the artists artists on it change regularly because they kind of rotate the artist because of the amount of work that goes into the book the there's a disconnect because this book is sometimes it feels as if it's a little bit behind everything else that's happening in the Batman universe. It's never really connected to anything related to any of the events that happen in the Batman universe. So to have a villain story for this book, it would have made it would have been a little bit better just because they would have actually tied it to some sort of event, even though it wasn't a Batman specific event. It would have made it a Batman event by having Killer Croc. So even if they would have done it with you know it being a batman title and then had killer croc as the villain and just focus on you know bat batman and batwoman dealing with killer croc that would have been one thing but like i don't know it's just it's 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 sad that they decided to go you know that it's not they're not going to do anything with killer croc and 
it's all because they've decided that the direction that they've been building the character is not a direction they want to go. That's just dumb. I mean, it, it's sad, too, because, you know, we always see this. Like, it, it always seems like that the stuff we hear about that never gets brought to fruition is... And I, I'm not trying to diss the current Batwoman book, because I really like the current Batwoman book. But it always seems like the ideas that we hear about that they won't let creators use are infinitely better than the ones we end up with on paper. So, that's sad. All right, so... The last comment we have on the website says, it's from Terry, it says, Do you think registered involvement with the League will mention or have anything to do with what might happen to Talia Leviathan in Batman Incorporated? This question may be answered before your next Point Five podcast, but I was wondering about your thoughts. Well, we I, I did mention this uh, during our Red Hood uh, review this time around. I think that, like I said earlier, Batman Incorporated is completely outside of what they're trying to do with the New 52, so they're not even holding it into continuity. Based off of what actually did happen in Batman Incorporated number 13, which at this point you've already heard our review on uh, episode 121 of the comic cast, Talia's dead, Jason betrayed her, and it was... It was uh, Kathy Kane who ended up shooting Talia. So Talia's dead, so there's absolutely no link. If if we look at just outside of Kathy Kane, if we look at the fact that Jason Todd comes in, he actually tells Talia, hey, I've got this device, blah, blah, blah. Give Batman his life and you can have this. It's, it's, it's seeming as if, you know, this is the what's, you know, Jason is really just out to save Bruce. And then in turn, he betrays Talia. Talia gets really upset about it. And then she gets shot in the head by Kathy Kane moments later. So it's interesting because it's outside of everything. I can almost guarantee you that at some point, Talia's going to just pop back up. And it'll probably be like a year from now after Grant Morrison's not currently writing any DC books where someone says, well, that didn't happen in the New 52, so we're going to change that. Or someone will say, oh, well, we dipped your body into a Lazarus pit. And the book that that's probably going to happen in is probably going to be Red Hood and the Outlaws. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I just I just co-sign that. I think that makes perfect sense, yeah. All right, so then the other questions we have is uh, over on the Facebook group, um, someone... Uh, Jack asked, how long will Kate and Maggie last? Um, I think their relationship is put to the strain currently, especially with this situation where Kate has to try to take out Batman, and I don't think necessarily that Maggie agrees with it, even though she is part of the GCPD, which she would think that she would have no problems with that. Um, clearly, she's having some problems with the, the different things that are happening right now. I think a lot of it has to do with the DEO, um, ultimately, the best thing that I think could happen is that Batwoman decides, hey, maybe I should go back to Batman and take him up on this offer, even though Batman Incorporated has imploded um, in the pages of Batman Incorporated. Maybe I'll take him up on his offer and I'll work as you know one of his agents and he can help me deal with the DEO. Yeah, I think that that makes the most sense. I, I think I hope that, that Kate and Maggie's relationship goes on for quite a while, and I think that at some point here, we're going to have the DEO out of the Batwoman title, and I think that there needs to be some kind of... I'm not suggesting her and Batman have to be have to be boys or friends, but there needs to be some level of, we're working in the same city. I, I am wearing a bat on my chest. Um, we're, we're good. So, I agree. Alright, and then Stephen asks, 
Uh, number one, what is your favorite Batman Superman team up, and is there anything you want from the book to explore or add in the future? Um, well, I would say one of my favorite Batman team ups. Um, pretty much, there's a lot of different stories that actually happen in the Superman Batman series. Um, which was published between two... There was a couple different stories. The one story that I really liked, which is outside the box, is when Bruce and and Clark are actually traveling around the world collecting the various different types of kryptonite. And this is basically... They're all being put into a vault that Batman is in charge of. Um, because basically, Batman is Clark's keeper, or Superman's keeper in a way. And I really like that story. It's not probably one of the best stories ever, but... Uh, I thought that was a really interesting story because it was not so much about the let's let's battle everybody and their brother. Um, it was more about the two of them building relationship of trust and friendship in that. Um, outside of that story, I'd have to say The Dark Knight Returns is a great story, which um, if you, you may have heard, there is some possibilities that uh, some form of... Not necessarily an adaption, but some sort of influence is going to influence the uh, Man of Steel sequel that's coming out in 2015. Uh, for for me, my my favorite is, and I don't even I know it's just called World's Finest, uh, but it was like a three it's, it's like a three issue maxi format miniseries from in the 90s with uh, Luther and Joker. Um, I know that it's not generally well received, but I really I, that was was one of my more interesting ones because it, it's. It's really what we always wanted. It's Luther and it's the Joker and it's Batman and Superman. And let's face it, when you want to see the guys get together, that's what you really want to see. And it delivered. So that's probably my favorite one. Um, Dark Knight Returns obviously is is, is a great one. Um, what I would like to see is um, honestly is this is the Batman Superman book one get out of the alternative universes slash futures, get back in regular continuity. Uh, I, I like my books to be in regular continuity and what's going on. Uh, but after that, um, I, I would like to see some more exploration of them as Clark and Bruce, um, as, as their, their, their friendship. And, and not everything has to be about them fighting a supervillain. So that's kind of I'm hoping where it goes. Yeah, and for me, I, I would also hope for that. Um, the best thing that I would really hope for is if you look at there was a backup in the back of Batman a couple months back by James Tinian, um, which had, it was right, it was about a month after Damien died. Batman is investigating some situations. Superman comes to Batman to kind of like ask him how he's doing because of the death of Damien. And you see this interaction between them. The interaction between them is actually really good, spot on with what it should be. And it's very outside of what we're seeing here in the pages of uh, Batman Superman. So I think if they got more to, like, you know, them dealing with their relationship and friendship more so than the, you know, who are we going to fight because we have to team up to fight them, that's where we'll need to be. I, I'm not a big fan of the alternate universes either. It's one thing, like, if you have, like, a book like Earth 2, which just deals with Earth 2 and it's on a different Earth. I don't have a problem with stuff like that, but I don't like when you start jumping world to worlds. That's when it's it gets a little weird, and the fact that they're explaining it with the trickster doesn't do it any good either. So that's what I'd like to see. The other question he has is, do you think at this point that Red Robin will get his own book, and is there any characters you would like to see in the Titans? Um, I would love to have a Red Robin uh, solo series. We, I've talked about it numerous times. There was at one point that I was following a bunch of different creators 
trying to see if there was anything formulating. We thought something was going to happen in June um, when they released some new new series. That didn't end up happening. Um, I don't know. The problem is that I think they don't know what to do with Tim Drake. Um, and I don't think anybody knows what to do with Tim Drake because nobody wants to kind of... The problem is that the Batman universe as a whole, there's so many different problems because they've made so many different comments about oh, well, this is still in place, but, you know, this is a different take on this, and now that they're doing Zero Year, because they already did Year One, so let's do Zero Year, because that was even before that. And the fact that they're doing all of these different things that are actually contradicting past continuity, but at the same time they're saying all that stuff that happened before still happened, there's a lot of problems. And the problem is that nobody knows what to do with Tim Drake, because... In my eyes, he's like the big eyesore that DC wishes didn't exist in the New 52. That's why we barely see him interact with the with any of the Bat family. He's barely shown up in any of the books. And if it is, it's almost as if it's just cameos. Um, so I think the problem is that you just don't know what to do. Um, what they need to do is they need to define the character in one of the existing books before they do it. And the problem is Teen Titans isn't defining the character. Um, as far as other titans I'd like to see I don't really have any wishes for who I'd like to see at this point I was really hoping that that Beast Boy would become part of the Teen Titans and with the demise of the Ravagers it appears that that's the case um, but outside of that like I don't really have anybody that I'm really desperately wanting Beast Boy was the one character that I really wanted to be on the team and now he is yeah I, I, I'll start off with the Red Robin stuff um I mean, yeah, the, the way they've used him in the in the in the, in the new Fifty Two is laughable. I mean, the the Batman and Red Robin part of the Batman and Robin Five Stages of Grief one was ridiculous. He showed up at the end to stop Batman from cutting open Frankenstein. I mean, uh, I think he needs his own book. And well, I would be okay. Well, here's why I think he needs. I want to be, I want to be clear about this. I think he needs his own book because Scott Lodell is not doing it properly in Teen Titans, in my opinion. Um, I think that. You know, Tim could justify could could live in just Teen Titans if it was if he was getting if, if it was doing done better and the stories were better for I mean we have these kind of trigon supernatural stories they're not going to lead yourself to to Tim being part of them um, or, or an effective part of them um, but I would love to see a Red Robin book but then of course the sad reality is how many Bat books can we actually have you know I mean if if we get a Red Robin book we're going to have to give up. So a book's going to have to leave um, because we just have there's too many bat books now and now we have Harley Quinn coming, which you know I like Pamiotti and I like the Harley Quinn character, but again it's another book. Um, so I guess I, I'm I'm happy with the count right now, but I wouldn't mind seeing like you know Catwoman go away and uh, have Red Robin take her place. As far as got people I want to see on the Teen Titans, um, I kind of got my I wanted to see Raven back in the team and and I think we just got Raven and and Beast Boy both uh, as continuing members of the team. Um, so I'm happy with, with the team the way it's constituted right now, and I'd like to see how the new members shake it up. All right, so that is all of our listener Q&As. I want to remind everybody that you can leave comments in the podcast post below. There's a comment section in the, on the actual post for the podcast. You can also leave a send us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net, or you can head over to Facebook, and we do post a post every single month, but because a month passes... 
uh, what we're going to start to do is post the post probably within a week before we record so that way uh, we can get those questions that you might be thinking about currently right before we record we can get those questions answered as well so be sure to check out the facebook group the uh, send us an email or leave comments for listener q a's uh, with that, that is everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, merchandise, TV, video games, and of course the comics. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube to find all of the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. Follow us or join our Facebook group to chat with other Bat fans related to everything Batman related. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And also be sure to check out all of our other podcasts that we have to offer. We also have released in this month a new episode of The Villain Wall. Uh, also earlier in the month, uh, we have we also have new commentaries that have released as well, as well as new episodes of Bat Fans, Back of the Oracle, and Taking Flight. So with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Joe. I mean, this is Ed. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast Point Five. We'll see you guys next time. Written by Christy Marks, art by Romano Molinar and Robinson Robus. Robinson. Good good luck with that. And Robinson Rocha. Hammer down, whip crack. Sicklin. These freaking names. They're 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 interesting. Okay, whip crack or crack whip. I hate these freaking names. These are so cheesy and dumb and so forgetful. Ah, whipcrack. It is whipcrack. Okay. Um, we see this this kind of like throwaway situation happen where over a course of a few days, she takes off, has to kill her brother, blah, blah, blah. She's back with the team. Knowing... And, and, okay, well, this will have to get edited out, but are you reading Batgirl too? Yeah. yeah. Okay, all right.